Hi, this is Jim Lobato, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. On our program today, we have Martin Yate, New York Times bestselling author. You may know Martin through his Knock 'em Dead career management book series. They cover every aspect of job search and career management. His constant cutting-edge contributions to job search and career management issues have established him as a thought leader in the profession. Martin joins us today to talk about his strategies on how to hire the best employees from his book, Knock 'em Dead, Hiring the Best, Proven Tactics for Successful Employee Selection. Martin, welcome to the program. Good to be with you, Jim. Thanks for inviting me. Well, you know, Martin, I, I was at a conference the other day, and... Um, it was almost a, a throwaway statement, and because uh, the person said it was an, like an HR conference, says, and you know, there's always going to be issues about selecting employees. And I thought for a second, I thought, you know, he's right. And ever since I've been in management and 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 running companies, there always seems to be issues about that. And my first question is, Martin, you've been doing this a long time. Uh, why does that not go away? <laughs> We've improved a lot of things in businesses. We seem to come back to this issue all the time. I, I, I think because there's a myth in American management, Jim. I think there's this myth that on promotion into management, you call me into your office and you, you know, essentially say, Mr. Yates, kneel. And I kneel and you pull out your big sword and you dub me on each shoulder and say, I hereby dub you with all the skills of manager. Arise, manager Martin Yates. And I arise, and suddenly I'm a manager. Now, most of us get promoted into management because we were good at doing the job, accountant, salesperson, whatever. Once we're in management, our job changes completely. It's not being a good salesperson or a good accountant anymore. Our job now becomes getting work done through others, and especially with men and especially especially with white men, and especially with white men over 35, we don't take on anything new. We don't learn anything new because in our society, if you're over 35 and you're a white male, you're meant to know what you're doing. So you don't risk your reputation by not letting on that you don't know something. So you hear all the time managers talking about uh, it comes with experience. It's a gut feeling. You know them when you see them. And it simply isn't that easy anymore. And if you can't hire effectively, you are never, ever going to be manage, manage, able to manage productively, and it's going to cost you your job. Number one responsibility, I just heard you say, if you're a manager, is getting work done through others. Yeah, that's the first and last part of the job, really, isn't it? I, I have this nasty habit of really simplifying. I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> I'm a bear of very little brain. <laughs> I appreciate the clarity. If you narrow it down to that, everything else becomes clear. 
I've sat in, you know, I've been a headhunter. Uh, I was one of the first technology headhunters in Silicon Valley. And I was head of human resources for Bell's Computer Memory Division. And I was head of training and development for what was then the world's second largest headhunting company. And I've been a recruit, and I've had a few job interviews myself. You know, I've been on both sides of the desk and in the middle. And I've watched this for over 30 years. And you ask anyone in HR, anyone listens to your podcast in HR, and I'm going to make a statement, and I bet you won't get one person to disagree with it, which is the higher up the ladder you go, the worse their selection skills get. <laughs> Why is that? The longer, the, the, the longer they've been doing it by gut feeling. Oh, yeah. okay, you sure. Know, the longer they think they can know it, and, and people get entrenched. You get to a certain point in this life and a certain level and you're protected. You know, eight out of ten guys get kicked out of the corporate workforce in their late 50s. However, you can be working in the Senate at 89, running the bloody country. <laughs> <laughs> yep. there's, a, there's a certain point where you get above the, the part where you're fired. Yeah. Yep. And, and, it, and it's these guys that are truly dangerous. Now, what I've left out, I've been talking about men, and, and this really applies to everyone, but um, women are much better that's saying, I don't know, I'm going to learn. And fortunately, this, you know, hiring right, getting people on board and joined up and trained um, and productive quickly, uh, motivating, disciplined, terminating the bums as quick as you can, it really isn't brain surgery. It doesn't take a long time to learn. Let's talk about one common method that people use in hiring you know, the right people. And one of those is they go by their gut. And Peter Drucker, you know, the great American you know, management guru, said, you know, if you're hiring just on your gut, you're listening to the wrong voice. He said, get third-party evaluation. In other words, use an assessment to evaluate what's there. And, you know, Drucker had been saying this for 30 years. He was way ahead of his time. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I'd be a fool to agree with, disagree with Mr. Drucker. I mean, <laughs> he sits on the right hand of God these days. Yeah, yeah he does uh, today. But I, I, what I would add to that is a big problem with this, and, and, and any manager listening today knows how it works. You know, I say to Jim, hey, Jim, um, I got someone coming in at 11. Uh, could you have a look at him? Tell me what you think. Now, what I haven't said is, Jim, he's coming in for this job, and this is the job description. You run another department. What do you know about the guys I'm going to hire? If you're going to use second opinions, which we should, we should get that, you know, that third-party evaluation, we should give them a job description, and we should say, these are the deliverables of the job. This is specifically what I'd like you to ask him about. And if you can give me feedback on these issues, these are great. Martin, good advice on how to bring in a fellow manager to help you evaluate one of your candidates. We should let the audience know that best is the book we're talking about, and it's the sixth edition. Back to our original comment, it doesn't seem to go away, the issue of finding good ones. So around 28 years. Yeah. So originally written in 1987, recently updated. My question is, as you've gone through these editions, what's the biggest change when you, when you updated this book? What did you go back and say, you know, I really need to update it, this part? This Actually, this edition, we've been trying to update it for, I think, six or seven years, and we just haven't had the time on it. You know, I've done 17 books. You know, they say anyone can write a book. All you need is a lack of a social life. Well, <laughs> I've done 17, and if you write Catcher in the Rye, you write it once, and you're done. 
and you never were. I write nonfiction books. So a new edition means a rewritten book, and I've done 82 American editions. <laughs> wow. So this is a book. Um, you know, uh, I thought of doing this book for my first book. Uh, I thought either do a book on hiring or do a book on job search. Which shall I do? I went, which are the more buyers for? Are there more managers or more people looking for jobs? More people looking for jobs. Uh, so, you know, when I did this book, and I think it was the second book I did, um, uh, it, it's never been a New York Times bestseller, but it's taken me all around the world. Disney uses it. All kinds of people use it all around the world. It does very nicely and continues to live. In this one, we completely rewrote it because, you know, when a book comes to press, it's, it takes a couple of years to get there from when you start. So you take seven years and add another two. That was a different world we lived in then, Jim. And, and mm. since then, you know, all recruitment has moved on the Internet. Uh, digital skills have impacted every single job. I was taking my, my uh, jack to the shop the other day. No one crawled underneath it. They put it up to, uh, on a jack and, and put some clips on it and read the computer. Uh, every job in the world is is impacted by technology. All our jobs have become infinitely more complex, or they've been dumbed down to the point where they're paper hat and name tag jobs. Not there's anything wrong with any job in the world. There is honor in all work. But because work is getting more complex, um, it means that recruitment and selection, you've got to be more careful. People can be more dangerous when you make a bad hire, you know, and, and a bad hire can uh, ruin your day. And, you know, it, there's, there's two levels of, of hiring. There's hiring, you know, there's being the uh, accounting manager or controller and hiring accountants, right? That's bad enough. Then there's another level above that, which is the chief financial officers who hire the VPs of finance and the controllers hiring people who in turn hire people. You know, there's another level of complexity. So we, we essentially, we went back to square one, threw the whole book out and started again. So as you did that, what's the one thing that really hasn't changed in all the additions? What's the one truth that still exists? Well, I, I think that there's got to be two. And, and, the, and the first one is, we've already said it, you know, mm -hmm. when you're a manager, your first first and last tenet of management is getting work done through others. And if you can't hire people effectively, you'll never manage productively. Right? The other truth that hasn't changed is that we can take any job in the world, and if it needs a human being to do it, we can reduce it to its bare essentials. And at its core, every job is essentially the same. We are all problem solvers within a specific area of expertise and geography. And what we're really being paid for, and this is what so many managers who don't train themselves about uh, employee selection never get, is that you know your job well enough to identify the problems that typically come over the horizon every day and do your job in a way that will prevent them and that, B, you know how to handle the problems when they do arrive on your desk, and C, you know how to handle those problems that arrive on your desk in a way that it shows awareness for the people who must deal with your work product. So we're all in the business of problem identification, prevention, and solution. 
Thanks for joining in on the conversation. Our guest is Martin Yate. In addition to Martin sharing his expertise on employee selection, you can find other experts that have shared their wisdom with us here on BizTalk. Those are available as podcasts on our website and cover business topics in areas of recruiting, leadership, marketing, performance management, sales and sales management, and, of course, personal development. You can download those podcasts from our website, biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com. Okay, Martin, before we took a break, you talked about the two truths about hiring that have not changed over the course of you updating this book. One was what managers really paid for. The other was the one thing that most managers who don't train themselves about employee selection never get, and that is know your job well enough, you know the problems that may come across your desk, and well enough you can prevent them, and also if they do show up, you know them well enough on how to handle them. You also stated that we're all in the business of identification, prevention, and solutions. So tell me more about that. Uh, can I give you an example of how this works in the real world, Jim? Let's say okay, I'm always fascinated with accountants. It's a simple word. We all know what they are, and I can't count. You know, some people are literate. I'm enumerate. So I'm, I'm very impressed with accountants. Uh, we're looking for, for an accounts receivable guy, and we decide we need um, uh, five years' experience. Okay. So there are people who have repeated this first year of experience five times, right? Right. And accounts receivable is not really just about collecting the money that people send in to you. Accounts receivable is literally the lifeblood of the company. There's probably no more important job in the company than the accounts receivable specialist who's calling people and getting them to pay their bills. Because if it wasn't for that man, wasn't for that woman, the paychecks wouldn't be any good, <laughs> right? So, you know, with someone like that, what we're dealing with is how do you – what are the problems that come over your horizon? You know, it's not the people who pay within 30 days. It's how you stop them going over 30 days. And if they go over 30 days, how you get them to pay between before 45 days. And the few that go over 45 days, how you stop them going over, over 60 days, and how you strategically think with management what we're doing in the sales process where we're selling to people who aren't paying their bills. That's being a problem solver. That's identifying, preventing, and solving problems. Then why do we hear so often from the hiring managers or managers in general, God, if I can just find an employee that's going to think, which is... Related to problem solving, right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's every time what, what job candidates don't realize. When they're sitting out there with sweaty palms thinking they're going in for interview, what they don't see is me falling to my knees, clasping my hands and looking skywards and saying, please, God, let this be the one I can hire. All I want is someone that can do the job and play well with others. <laughs> you know, and if you're a candidate, they want to hire you. You, you just got to understand what the needs are. And it's not five years' experience in this and, and, and knowledge of this program. It's how you use it and apply it. Yeah. Say that again because I think that's the key point people miss. It, 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 it's not that you have so many years' experience in a particular skill. It's, it's how you apply it. Um, you know, there, there are certain skills um, these are words that are the most common words on job posting. Words like communication skills, multitasking, analytical skills, creativity, teamwork, leadership. And you go to a conference, Jim, and, and if people are talking about jobs and, and job postings, you'll get a bunch of people saying, that's ridiculous. You could put any job title on top of that. 
Yeah. And you could, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. But what people don't realize is, you know, number one, communication has eight subsets, verbal communication, listening, writing, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, then there's body language, social graces, uh, emotional intelligence, and I'm drawing a blank on the other two, but I've broken them down into eight subsets. Um, it, it's not that these skills can apply to every job, therefore they don't mean anything. It's that these skills are so important, they do apply to every job. And what we have to do is, if we say communication skills are important, well, what does that mean in sales? It means not only that they can talk, because most people in sales are ADD or ADHD, right? but they can listen and they can write. Um, and, and not you know if, if I'm selling you a Rolls Royce, and mm-hmm. I actually know cars, uh, does it matter if I'm wearing a suit or a pair of cut-off jeans and a T-shirt? It matters how I dress, mm-hmm. whatever the job, you know. So so dress is part of communication. So we have to look at it from the management side, uh, and I call these in 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 the uh, in the Knock'em Dead books. These are refer- we refer to these as transferable skills and professional values. And they apply to all jobs. And they use so often, we tend to forget how important they are. So if it's important, it's, okay, you're in sales. That means multitasking is important. And what does multitasking mean? Well, most people think it's this nasty word that makes us run around like chickens with their heads cut off and running from one task to the next. In fact, multitasking simply means time management and organization. So if I'm hiring a salesperson, multitasking is in the job description. What I really want to know is how he organizes his day, how he prioritizes his time, and what he does in those hours. So what what you're saying is you really get past the the generic use of these terms. Because I, I was thinking as you were talking, this thing on communication and sales, because um, we have a company we work with, and it's evident that their sales force has shifted to a lot of Internet interaction. Mm-hmm. And when this happened, they discovered a lot of their salespeople couldn't write. <laughs> You're talking to someone, I can't write or spell. Well, but then I mean, I'm a professional. I have people for that. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, oh, I, I never thought about that. The ability to communicate in an yeah. email concisely to the point and then the right grammar and the structure yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And they, so they made a shift, and they actually brought in a uh, retired English teacher <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> into the sales training classes because they recognized without that skill set, they weren't going to be as effective. So when you say, like, yeah, I get back to what you said, when you you talk about communication, what part of communication are you talking about? I think that's a good point. Yeah. And, and the point you make is about listening. And I'm going to give you an example from this is from yesterday, from a guy I know who owns an insurance agency in town. And they're working on social media. And he wanted to buy, um, I can't say the name of it because what I'm going to say about them is not very nice. Uh, he, he wanted to buy this uh, basically uh, uh, automatic social media machine software, right? Yeah. So he approached the company, and uh, he, he said he spoke to this woman who sounded like she was 20, and she said, I'm going to send you an email. And she sent him an email with lots of YouTube links on it. And he, he called back and he said, I don't want YouTube links. I want to speak to someone. No, but all the information is on the YouTube. She couldn't sell what being. She could send him to YouTube. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Right, and he's not going to buy the product. If I am going to spend thousands of dollars on something, I want someone to answer my questions. I don't have time to watch video. Right. I'm not one of those people who go and put photographs of my lunch online. I'm working. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about, uh, in your experience, um, what is the biggest misperception about hiring the best employees today? Um, oh, yeah. Good question. Um, it's hiring the guy that's got all the, all the woman who's got all the skills. Uh, and, and, and this is the way it works. Let's say we've got a salary range, sixty to $70,000. And uh, we're hiring uh, an actuary who's, you know, maybe has five, six years experience, I suppose, for, for that amount of money. Um, and we're looking at people, and, we, and we've got a guy who's got 40% of the job. And, yeah, we've got a guy who's got 65% of the job, another guy that's got 75% of the job, guy who's got 90% of the job, and this top candidate's the person that can do everything. He's got 100% of the job, but he's going to cost us $69,000 a year. We tend to go with the perfect candidate who has, has absolutely everything. Now, there's a problem with this. Number one, you can't give him a raise. You brought him in at the top of the ladder, right? The only way you can give him a raise is to give him a promotion. And for, it's much tougher to do that than to give someone a raise. And if, you, if he's done it all before, he's going to get bored. You know, one of the biggest reasons people want to change jobs is they get bored, uh, there's a guy we're doing a resume for right now. He said, I've been with the company 18 years. It's time for a change. I'm yeah. sorry. I love him, but i got to see some new faces. And so I, I believe, and uh, I have a number of colleagues who I've, I respect, and we think probably the best bet is someone who's got around 70, 75% of the skills. They can do the job. They can hit the ground running. And there's enough in the job to give them some opportunity for growth. It means you can bring them in at the midpoint or lower in your approved salary range, which gives you the opportunity to give them decent raises for the next couple of three years without any worries. And those people are going to stay with you longer. For any hiring manager, I would take the time to get the book, Knock Them Dead, Hiring the Best, Proven Tactics for Successful Employee Selection. But there is a chapter, and it's Chapter 7, The Seven Secrets Behind Successful Hires. I, I knew there was a couple secrets. Out of those seven, pick one. You do ask nasty questions, <laughs> Mr. You know? hey, can I give you my favorite? Uh, yeah, give me your favorite while I think of this. I'm All looking right. at the bloody chapter. <laughs> okay, right. Well, your first principle on The Seven Secrets Behind Hiring Successful Hires is... <laughs> Number job one, to make money. yeah, the job exists to make money, and, and people miss that, right? Absolutely. I, if you can't tell how you make money, save money, or increase productivity, you're about to get laid off or automated out of existence. <laughs> yeah. Our guest is Martin Yate. We're talking about his book, Knock Em Dead, Hiring the Best, Proven Tactics for Successful Employee Selection. Martin, when we left off, you said all jobs are about three things, making money, saving money, or the third was what? 
or otherwise improve productivity. Yeah. That's what all jobs are about. It's how we make money. You know, every if you, everyone listening today think if you, Jim, and I were partners, why would we add anyone to the payroll unless they bring money in the door, help us keep money in our door longer, or help us become more productive? And it's my favorite question. I ask people, how did you? How have you contributed to the way? Your company sells its products, I mean, other than doing your job. So in other words, did you bring anything to the team that talked about a, a different way of doing it, a different way of presenting it, a different way of packaging, a different way of presenting it? Have you done anything like that? And I get this blank stare back. Well, I, no, I went out and sold. Yeah, yeah. You and a thousand other people can do that. <laughs> So, Martin, when you're selecting salespeople, what is that one trait that you're looking for? Um, I, I would, you know, all, all of those, um, picking any one of them is tough. I, I, I'd say time management is important. Yeah. Someone who can't manage their time can't get anything done. They spin in circles. They don't get traction. Well, it gets you know, back to your definition, I think, uh, your definition of what uh, multitasking is. It's time management and oh. organization. Yeah. And, and be able to pick the priorities and focus on them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so my other favorite chapter, since we interview a lot of salespeople, uh, you have a chapter in the back of the book. We have a, well, the part of your book is titled Different Job Titles, Different Job Questions. Chapter 13 is on the sales hire. Mm-hmm. And, and I found this interesting. Everybody kind of knows this, but then when you put it in writing, it's like, oh, yeah, that's very true. You talk about the salespeople being the most sophisticated communicators around. Which I, I, I took to imply that it's very tough to interview them. Is that did I interpret that right? Let me say this in French. No shit, Sherlock. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was in the headhunting business. There isn't a smarter smarter communicator in the world. They sell products that talk back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. A sales hire is real tough. All right. Now here's the other thing I think people miss. It's it's right in your. Chapter title, you say, nowhere are the stakes higher for you, your company, or your career than when you're hiring sales professionals. Martin, that's a pretty strong statement. Well, it is. But, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, because Martin likes to simplify things because he ain't very bright, is if there ain't money coming in the door, we can't make payroll. So it really is. You know, there's a justification for everyone in the in the company, every department, every job is critical to the company. You know, because we wouldn't hire them otherwise. You know, it's about making money. That's the first tenet. You know, when we're talking about those seven secrets. But given that, the people whose job it is to bring in money, the people it is that can pick up a telephone and call someone, the people it is who can send an email or go and knock on someone's door. You know, we, we, we have a, a resume writing and coaching business. had it for 20 years. And everyone we do a resume with gets an hour of coaching with me at the end of it. And, uh, and, and, and these people, you know, and they go through a self-paced job, training pro, job search training program where we talk about how you make approaches and things. And they all say, I can't call someone. I, I, I can't go and knock on someone's door or send them an email and then give them a tele. I can't do that. Well, that's what the salespeople do. Yeah, they're really valuable. They've got a skill that most people don't have. But they can talk too much, and very often they don't listen. And listening skills become very, very important when hiring uh, salespeople. 
And there's a big difference between people who can say they can do the job and talk a good game and those who are actually able to do it, to deliver, to take the rough with the smooth. Um, and the other critical thing, with the, well, one of the other critical things with hiring salespeople is can they listen? So in your chapter, you have uh, questions to ask the sales hire. Is there a favorite one in there you like to ask all the time? This, this is Oh, okay. Uh, if I started off, you know, you're walking through the resume, get them used to talking, get the mm -hmm. frog out of their throat. And then I'd say, you know, if you came to join the company and you didn't have any transferable clients, do you have any transferable clients? <laughs> right? <laughs> Next question. Uh, <laughs> moving. You can tell I watched Ali McBeal. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and the next question is, so if you come with, with no transferable clients, <clears throat> we're in the city, you're starting from scratch, tell me how you, how you would put a plan of attack together for building a client base in this metropolitan area. Question number two. Question number three. Having built the plan, can you describe how you would divide your week and your day and include in that approaches you're going to make by how you're going to identify the companies, how you're going to identify the contacts, who you're going to identify, and what the titles are. And then we ask them another one about how do you approach them. Do you approach them by letter, email, Pony Express, or do you pick up the phone and call them? Now, in sales, and this holds true in every business in the world, you know, whether you're selling bridges you know, major, major infrastructure projects, or you're selling a box of pencils. The quickest way to make a sale is get in touch with the decision maker and sell them your product. And the quickest way to do that is to pick up the telephone and call them. Now, I'm not saying that every salesperson has to spend all day on the telephone making calls, but you've got to have people that integrate making an approach. And how many calls does it take you to get through to someone, a decision maker? How many calls and in-person visits does it typically take you from initial contact with the decision maker to closing the sale? What's the toughest sale you've ever had? Tell me about a sale that fell apart and there's nothing you could do to fix it. And I would lead on from there. If you were a headhunter today, what's the one thing you want to tell a client? Your job depends on hiring the right people. When a team loses, they lose one or two players, but very quickly they change the coach. You have to hire them right to make them productive. And once you've hired them, if, they, if, they, if they're not team players, if they won't work for the common good, if they won't take one for the team every now and then, um, if they are not producing, if they are not learning, you have to take them through an orientation process that has regular meetings with them every week for a month, every two weeks for a second month, and every two weeks for a third month, so that by the time you get to 90 days, the person who isn't going to make it knows and is more likely to take themselves away before you let them go. So at the end of 60 days, you better start recruiting again. You can't afford to lose people on their timetable. Time it has to be on yours, and you can save yourself a lot of time by learning how to interview and make objective decisions about who you hire. Because there's far too much, not just in sales, but in every field of hiring people who look like ourselves. Same height, same weight, same sex, same socioeconomic background, walks the same, talks the same. Yep. Right? So you're with a 
company president today as relates to uh, selecting the best employees, the one piece of advice you're giving them is what? The people you are going to be speaking to, those managers who are hiring people who are themselves managers. So the people you are involved in hiring literally are going to build or destroy this company. Every job in the world has changed over the last 10 years. Everything to do with selection has changed. You've been in this business. This is your company. You're a brilliant businessman. You have four houses. I want you to keep them in the old age. What you really need to do is take yourself, take an afternoon off, read a book, watch a video, put yourself through a class on how to hire managers. Because if you hire managers who in turn don't know how to interview and select employees, you're destroying your company and you sit in the catbird seat. The buck stops at your desk. That's what I'd say. Knock them dead, hiring the best, proven tactics for successful employee selection. Martin, one of the things I hear from employers now and then is, you know, off the record, they want someone younger for this position. I mean, you've been a recruiter. You got your pulse on what's going on in the employment market today. Uh, what's your insight in terms of looking at our more seasoned employees? There's a lot of boomers getting pushed out of the workforce, but the older the workers you hire, the longer they stay with you, and the worst thing you can have as a manager is losing people on their timetable and not on yours. And you get a more mature worker, they're not going to leave. They're very happy to be working, and they're more likely to stand at your back and rather than stab you in it, protect you. Mm-hmm. It's really worth looking at the more, more mature workers. Big mistake. Oh, we can get, a, get an amen on that. I would agree. You mentioned that you have a service where you help people build their resumes, and they get an hour of coaching with you. So if we had uh, some coaching time and I was looking for a job, what are you telling me as a potential candidate today? You know, we I, we work with people of all walks of life, literally. Mm-hmm. And and I'm working with kids fresh out of school whose whose moms and dads I helped many years ago. But the the biggest thing that happens is before they get the session with me, they get two or three of my books and they get five hours of video training. And then they have to give me a written plan of attack and a list of questions. And I have to have it 48 hours beforehand. And I would say about 45% of the time with senior managers, these are managers who hire managers, I send them an email and say, I suggest we reschedule the meeting. Let's talk for five minutes. And I get them on the phone and I said, look, you haven't watched the videos. You haven't read the books. Yes, I have. Why are you saying that? Because I can tell by the questions you're asking that you haven't read them. Look, you haven't done a job search in years. You don't know how it's done. Don't fool yourself and don't waste my time. Read the books, watch the videos, give yourself an education in job search because it's tougher the higher up the ladder you get, and then let's spend our time together. That's what I tell them. And, and I think this comes from the headhunting days. Of people, there has to be someone in your life to tell you the truth, Jim. And the higher up the ladder you go, the more people want to shine your shoes for you. Mm-hmm. And they'll tell you whatever you say is wonderful. So you, you, you need to find people in your life who will talk straight to you and tell you how it is. You can accept it or reject it, but it's good to have people that you can listen to. Martin, is there one question today that I haven't asked you that I should have? God, hundreds. I mean, you know, I, 
I'm a writer. Yeah, I, I did, talking to people is wonderful. I can talk forever. <laughs> <laughs> this is work avoidance. I'm going to go back to doing a book as soon as I get off the phone. <laughs> Um, uh, obviously, go buy the book, guys. It's in Amazon. It's in Barnes & Noble. It's on the website. But, but more importantly, if you want to get into management, understand what the skills are. I can't tell you the amount of people, Jim, who, who come to us and say, I've been an accountant for seven years, and now I want to be an accounting manager. And I say, okay, there's two sides to a desk. There's the cold side and the warm side. The warm side is the side that hires. Come around the warm side with me. We've got two candidates in front of us. One has been an accounting manager for five years. The other's been an accounting manager for seven years, and he's got your name. Who are we going to hire? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to hire the guy who's doing the job now. So people don't realize you don't change jobs to get promotions. You change jobs, you're going to get the same job, pretty much the same job, uh, a fresh start, and then you have to get into the inner circle because it's the inner circle where the plum assignments, the races, and the promotions live. And you have to become part of that circle before you're part of the action. And that's how you grow. People climb the ladder further within a company than they do when, the, when they change jobs. Martin, all good advice. I feel we could, we just touched the tip of the iceberg for, for those of you who are listening to our program and our podcast, the book is Knock 'em Dead, Hiring the Best, Proven Tactics for Successful Employee Selection. It's really about how to build winning teams. Go out and get it. Martin, I, thanks for I'm, being on our program. Let me say one thing. Sure. You evaluate people in two ways, by what they say and the questions they ask. Hmm. Jim clearly knows what he's talking about, and you listen to him because he asks good questions. Thank you. Take care, guys. God bless. Listening to Martin reminded me of a conversation I had with a client the other day. She asked me a couple weeks ago, you know, what do you think of this candidate? And I said, well, what does your gut tell you? And she says, well, I don't think he's a fit for us. And I said, well, listen to your gut. And I thought that was the end of it. And I just received this email. I'll open it up here. It says, um, I've decided to move ahead with this candidate. Despite the fact I told him I had other candidates, he persisted in his follow-up. I believe he will do very well here. Here's my translation of her email. I've had this position open for a while. No one has impressed me. I value persistence, and I'm basing my hiring decision mainly on the candidate that exhibited this attribute the most. Okay, I get that. Persistence is important in sales. But at the same time, there's a lot of other attributes that are important. For example, here's what I know about the sales position. It's an outside sales position, but this candidate has no experience in an outside sales position. It's a sales position where the salesperson must do the closing. In his previous job, he hasn't done any closing, and according to his assessment, he hardly has any closing skills. The manager has a management style in which he seldom manages people, and this candidate comes from an environment where there's daily and weekly reporting, plus debriefs at the end of the week with the sales manager. So she has to bank on the fact that the candidate is self-starting and self-directed, which are two of the hardest attributes to find in anybody on the planet. And I can give you a dozen more examples where there's a mismatch between what the candidate is able to execute on and my client's sales role. I understand we get enamored and fall in love with candidates, so one way to avoid this is to create a checklist of the attributes and or the results that the candidate must be able to execute on. And just complete your checklist, kind of like I did here in a quick summary. Do they have this? 
Yes, no. Do they have this? Yes, no. Hate to oversimplify this. The candidate with the most yeses wins. Salespeople are some of the most difficult candidates to interview because they're trained to persuade. And if they're not trained to persuade, they at least have the answers to your interview questions. Therefore, it looks like they know what they're doing. By creating this checklist, you become objective in your evaluation of this candidate. You're able to step back, look at the list, and say, do they really have what it takes? Putting together a checklist is probably one of the most valuable tools you can create whenever you're screening for any sales position. Another objective way to review candidates is to do an assessment. We recommend the Objective Management Group uh, Confidential Candidate Screening because it's an executional assessment. In fact, it's the only sales executional assessment in the marketplace which will show you what the candidate is capable of executing on. Get that assessment, and I'll guarantee you, you'll have a better interview with your next sales candidate. Information on how to get that assessment is available on our website at pmgllc.net. All right. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.